Throughout human history, societies have grappled with fundamental questions of how to organize themselves. Government does nothing as well or as economically as the private sector of the economy. Tech companies are actually taking over the world, and they're doing it with our government's help. But there also seems to be a growing awareness that they have become so big that they have too much power now. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and is gravely to be regarded. There's a hidden goal driving the direction of all of the technology we make. For well, we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that combines military, intelligence, economic, scientific, and political operations. Public policy could itself become the captive of a scientific, technological elite. People all over this country are wondering whether or not this great country is evolving into an oligarchic society. This alternative vision argues that ordinary men and women are too small-minded to govern their own affairs, that order and progress can only come when individuals surrender their rights to an all-powerful sovereignty. Now we can see a new world coming into view, a world in which there is a very real prospect of a new world order, and today that new world is struggling to be born, the dream of a new world order. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Our Foundations. My name is Joshua. I do believe that today we are in an age that is in between ages. We are in this transitional period. Zbigniew Brzezinski wrote a book called Between Two Ages, America's Role in the Technotronic Era, and it covers a lot of similar things to what I am saying about this transition and the impact of technology and political systems and all this kind of stuff, but he wrote it back in 1970, I believe, so it is um, a little outdated by now, but strangely very accurate, but the concept of us heading into a technocratic age and already being in a technocratic age is something that I personally am very fond of. I think that is a fairly accurate assessment. And so today's episode, I want to talk about these ages that we are shifting from and into and what this transition is and how this whole COVID ordeal is impacting that and accelerating that. That's what I want to touch on today. So To begin with, I want to set the stage with uh, my view of the ages that we are in. And as a disclaimer ahead of time, this is information that I will be covering in the next season. I had mentioned previously that I'm writing a book, and a lot of this is basically the outline to my introduction is going to be next season. And uh, the aspect that I'm going over today is one that I'll get into in much more detail in the actual season three that I get to when I get to this section. But since it is fairly relevant, I'm very interested in it right now. And I believe that it fits in really well with giving my opinion of what's going on in the world today in this between two seasons uh, period of the show. So uh, I, I feel like this fits and I'm giving a very brief version of this now. But again, there will be a lot more on it later. So The idea is that we have ages of man that we progress through. And again, I'm not going back into the whole story of this, but basically the age that we are coming out of is an economic age, and the age that we are heading into is a scientific age. The age of economics that we are coming out of was dominated by capitalism, largely, and the age of science that we are heading into is going to be dominated uh, mostly by technocracy. 
And so these are the overarching systems that are in place governing these two ages. We have the decline of the American empire that we are witnessing right now. We're kind of, we've peaked and we're starting to decline as an empire. And there will be a rise of a balkanized version. There'll be a balkanization of America, of the United States, but also around the world. If you look at things from a political perspective, I am foreseeing a lot of balkanization of these political realms and territories. We had national unification under the previous age. That was a big thing, national pride, nationalism. And we are heading into more political decentralization, again, this balkanization. The previous stage was dominated by the state. The state was the supreme entity that everyone looked up to and was organized under. The state ruled the age of economics. And coming up in the age of science, it will be the experts that rule and the bodies of experts that make up different organizations and different structures, but it will be the experts that will be the top class. The economic age was based around physical goods, and that was the source of a lot of the economic activity and a lot of the systems were built around physical things. And the new age, the scientific age, the age of technocracy will be around digital goods and digital things. Everything will be digitalized and tokenized to these kinds of things. And that's what we are heading into. So that should give you a rough idea of where I think we are. The two ages, the age of economics that we're coming out of, the age of technocracy that we're heading into. And we we are in this in-between stage. We are in the transition right now. One of the biggest influences for my thought and my study in these areas is William Henry Smith. He wrote a series, my impression at least, is it was a series of articles that was later compiled into a book. It's been kind of hard to get a lot of detail on that. Uh, it's not a very popular thing. I hadn't even heard it referenced. I just randomly found a free audio version of this book called Technocracy. So I thought, hey, that's perfect as I was researching technocracy. And um, I later did a lot more digging because I really was interested and uh, can't really find a whole lot. I've never heard it referenced in any of my other research looking into technocracy. Never heard him referenced or that book or those writings. So I'm not really sure why. Interesting. But William Henry Smith is the guy and his writings are partly philosophical and then partly more political theory kind of stuff and getting into what technocracy looks like. He says that society is organized by one of three things. These are the factors behind the organization of society. It used to be brute force. That was the main factor. That was the main method. That's how people did things was brute force when we talk about a societal, civilizational level. And that then moved into cunning being the most practiced method of administering organization and running and setting up a society. And he believes we should get into having skill being the top method we use for figuring out and organizing society. That's kind of his, those are his three methods, so to say, of how things go. And the age that we're coming out of, the economic age, that would be one that was ran by cunning. He describes cunning as being parasitic. He says it has a lot to do with magic and mystery and chance. It's fairly indirect. 
And it's governed by the will to take, the will to acquire, the will to hoard. These are the wills that drive mankind. This is something that he talks a lot about. We have multiple wills that he discusses. We have the will to live, the will to construct, the will to control, the will to acquire, and the will to know. Those are the wills that William Henry Smith talks about and... He gives them different names at different times. The will to live might be to survive or base instincts. Construct might be to make. To control might be to master. To acquire might be to hoard or to take. And so he calls it different things, but it's the same idea. And this age of economics would have been one that was based around the will to take. And he believes that we need to get into a new system, one that's not oriented around something that's for the good of a certain person. So if I am a ruler and I am governed by the will to take, then I am going to do things that encourage taking, me taking things, and I'm going to do them through the means of cunning, and that's going to be what's best for me. And he thinks that this is what's wrong with politicians and the political class. And instead, we need people that are governed by the will to know. They're not trying to take things from people. They're not trying to use brute force or cunning. They're using skill, and they're using this method of skill in order to know more and to apply that to governing society. This would be the engineers and the technicians, these types of people, whereas the will to take or to acquire, that would be more the financiers, and this would be more of the capitalistic class. When we have a system like we have today of crony capitalism, that would be the political class as well, because the political is intertwined with the corporate, and you'd have, you know, cronyism, capitalism as exists today, crony capitalism, whatever you want to call it. But that's what we live in today. He sees this as being corrupt and not being very efficient or effective, or it is, but only to the people at the top. And so he thought that we should get into something different. And again, he's writing this back after World War I. He saw that the nation came together. It was much more organized. Industry and factories were focused on the war effort and on one single goal. The country was unified under one single goal and ideology, and he saw this as something that was a good thing, that the scientists and the experts were taking charge and running things much more efficiently, and he saw a lot of potential in this. So this is definitely nothing new by any means, uh, but this is how he describes technocracy. And at the time of his writings, at least he was not aware of the term technocracy being a thing at all. As far as he was concerned, he was coining that term. And so that's where this comes from as a little bit of a background. But getting back to the criticisms of our current age, he talks about how it's ran by the method of cunning. And I mentioned how it involves magic and mystery and chance. These things sound a little odd, but uh, I will kind of get into at least what he says about them. He says that money is magic, that it's a form of magic, at least money the way we have it today. He would be speaking of fiat money, that it has eternal life and it has the properties of reproduction. Money makes money. You can make more money with more money, not involving anything else, just money. And so that's a little odd. It's odd that the future controls the present, because when you finance things, you're financing present goods with 
future savings. So you'll finance something now and you have a physical thing, but that is all predicated on something that happens later in the future. So you kind of magically created the ability to purchase this one thing based on something that doesn't even exist and hasn't even happened yet. And so he finds some magical properties, so to say, with the way money works. When you have credit just in general, you're creating something from nothing. Nothing existed, now something exists. And that's something that he sees as magic. It's like creating reality out of theory. Now, he says magic. You could also probably input religion here, religious or deity or something like that. These all probably would apply. But that's what he says about magic. And when he talks about the aspect of mystery, he's talking more about uh, capitalism as a whole and finance. He says that finance is actually like a religion, and he says this a little more directly, that it's all centered around mystery. It's unknown or complex systems. They're managed by cunning and mystery. They're not managed by science. He talks about how money is not something that is an accurate measure of anything. Money is something that changes in value, that it changes relative to other things. And so if you're measuring a system by fiat money, then that measurement just isn't accurate. It's not a good thing to measure things by. If you're going to measure something, you need to measure it by a set standard. And if that set standard is something that changes, then that doesn't really work very well. And inherently, there is some magic and mystery and chance all involved in that because it is not a set thing, but yet you're basing everything on it. So when he talks about chance, he talks about how everything is ruled by chance. You have wealth and investment that are largely governed by chance. It's not that you know things will happen in the future. It's that you think that they might, and on the chance that they will, you might make a bunch of money or lose a bunch of money. And just an act of God, so to say, can create riches or destroy wealth. There are things that we can't control in life that happen. Let's say natural disasters. We can't control that at all. That's a matter of chance, so to say. But yet, they create a lot of wealth. They destroy a lot of wealth. They have huge impacts on the system. And again, it's kind of like using a measurement for something that is not a stable measurement. It's incorporating these acts of chance and having a system that's designed around that, that adapts to that and changes with that, but it doesn't necessarily distribute that out evenly and account for that evenly. He doesn't feel like that's something that is a very good way to set up a system. He talks about something that he refers to as magic money. He says it's dream wealth. He talks about things like stocks and bonds and national debt, things like credit, where magic is used to control physical goods. So it's not like stocks are anything concrete or bonds or national debt. It's the system of using magic and mystery and chance to create things and control things. But you're controlling things in the real world. You're controlling physical goods, but through these cunning means of magic, mystery, and chance. And that's kind of where he is going with this as a whole. And chance might sometimes be controlled chance. You might have some statistics on how likely a scenario is, but it is still chance. You have profits that are all based on this. The building or destroying of wealth are all based on these things. He doesn't feel like this is a good way to set up a system. 
And so he contrasts this with another possibility using skill instead of cunning. And when we look at skill, that's something that is purposeful. That's something that's productive. It's based on the will to know. It is not self-centered, self-focused, selfish. It's not about acquiring more stuff. It's about doing something and doing it well and doing it to a certain purpose, doing it effectively and efficiently. This is much better than governing things by cunning and the will to take and doing things through magic and mystery and chance. Instead, we need to do things through skill. Now, one thing that he does say about society as a whole and how things have changed and political systems, he does say that the masses follow leadership but that we need new leaders. Not only new leaders, we need a different type of leaders. We need scientists and technologists. These are the ones that need to be running things. The experts are the ones that need to be running things. Not these corrupt politicians using these corrupt means and methods we talked about. We need something new. We need technocracy. With a technocracy, you have matters of chance that are distributed to all. All things are done for the good of what he calls the common wheel, for the social body as a whole, whatever you want to call it. With technocracy, we need a national ideology. Because people follow leadership, they follow ideologies, we need something. We need a purpose. We need a national goal. And in order to facilitate this and govern these aspects, we need a national council of scientists in power within a democracy. So democracy is good. People having a voice is good. But at the top need to be the experts, the scientists, and you need to have a council of them, not just one. You need to have a group of them. This would be the idea that later gets developed by other people of the technate. And that's what you need. But the political, you know, again, later people talk about how the political aspects are dealt with on a local basis within a democratic political system. Now, uh, William Henry Smith also says that national industrial management is something that you need to have where you trade the state for free workers unified under technologists. So instead of having the state govern things, it is that you have workers that he defines as free, not under any specific state, but they are unified under technologists, under different councils of technologists and scientists and things like this, under the experts. And that making should be equivalent to owning something. We need to have some sort of new money that reflects all of these things. And he gets a little vague with this. He doesn't go into detail. When I, in the next season, get into technocracy, I'll talk about like the study guide for technocracy. It was a document. It might be the technocracy study guide. I forget the name of it exactly, but I think it has study guide in the title and technocracy in the title. But it was a big document that gets very detailed into how goods are distributed, how you handle money, how you deal with value, all this kind of stuff. And we'll do the details there. Um, William Henry Smith was a lot more vague and not necessarily in a bad sense, just more broad. And so he goes on to talk about how industrial democracy with personal freedom for self-realization is the goal. So again, you have democracy, you have a voice, it's in an uh, industrial setup with a council of technologists and councils of scientists that are in charge, these experts making the decision. But within that, you do have personal freedom for self-realization. No one's telling you exactly what to do and how to do it. You just have your leaders, so to say, 
are different people and they fill different roles and they do it in a different way. We have these trends that we have gone through as humanity. We have the trend of centralization of government, something I've talked about a lot before, the concentration of wealth, the unification of mechanized industry. These are all trends that have been coming, especially post-industrial revolution, and we are kind of at the peak of that now. He talks about how we've gone through different political systems. We had autocracy, where the king has God-ordained power over man. We have had democracy, where man has natural rights over the government. And he says that the political systems have evolved, but we kept the force and control of centralized government, and we kept the cunning and magic of finance and capitalism, and that's where we're left today, where we have this mix of the two. And I don't think he goes quite into detail about that, but but I can see that. And I think coming from the background of listening to my podcast that probably is clicking with you pretty well, that we have this meshing of the two of state and industry and having these aspects of both of these systems, kind of the worst of both worlds, coming together. Now, when you focus back to the current system we're in and the system we're looking to and kind of coming out of William Henry Smith's writings, when he talked about autocracy, autocracy is something that is governed by force and cunning. Those are the methods that are used under autocracy. When you go to plutocracy, which is probably how he would describe what I'm calling the age of economics, the current age we're heading out of, a plutocracy is governed by what I would say would be cunning and skill. We mentioned these aspects of cunning, and I've alluded to these aspects of skill as well, and they're kind of meshed together. You think of the ideal entrepreneur, the Elon Musk or uh, Jeff Bezos or someone like this who has a lot of cunning. They are good at using these methods of finance, of uh, mystery and chance and magic, and they can do this really well for their own benefit and even for the benefit of others. But they also have this aspect of skill. They're good at what they do, and that is highlighted. That separates them out from the crowd and enables them to combine these two things to dominate. And uh, that's something that can apply, be applied not only to a tech entrepreneur, but can be applied to the state as a whole when you look at it from a more philosophical perspective, so to say. The state uses cunning. The state's the one that pretty much is in control of the fiat money system, this whole magic mystery and chance system. And they rig that system fairly regularly, but they do it fairly well. And we do have this aspect of brute force, but it's usually just overseas ventures where we uh, kind of overthrow a dictator in the Middle East or South America every once in a while, that kind of thing. And even though it is a big deal, and I have a lot of negative things to say about it, I'm not going to do that right now. And as a whole, when you look at our entire political system, especially in America, that's kind of a minor thing, really. The brute force aspect is not it. And often, even in these endeavors, we are using things like economic sanctions and uh, political leverage and going through the UN and other bodies of experts, councils of experts, so to say. And this is the method that gets used more often. It's more cunning with some skill. And so that's what we are in now, and we are coming out of that and getting into more pure technocracy, where hopefully we can shed some of these aspects of cunning and go into pure skill. That would be William Henry Smith's idea, at least. I would deny that. I would say that skill might be the top thing and the will to know might be at the top, but right under that is still going to be cunning and the will to take. 
as I lay out the ages of man, I see a pattern where the methods and aspects from the previous age still exist in the next age, but kind of at a second level and in a corrupted form. The example here could be cunning. Cunning is what rules the age of economics, and that is something that is used in order to basically have a capitalistic system that benefits those at the top. It's crony capitalism. That's the way it works. Well, if we move into a technocratic system, let's say we've gone through the transition stage and we're in a technocracy, we don't necessarily have this, well, we just don't have the same capitalistic system. Capitalism doesn't exist like it does today, not in a technocracy. And so that aspect of cunning with fiat money and things like this and credit and the big bankers having a lot of control and influence worldwide, that doesn't exist in the same way. It just doesn't. It's a totally different system that doesn't operate that way. And so with that, that aspect of cunning is no longer existent at all. However, that aspect is then corrupted, whereas its original purpose was to use the capitalistic system to funnel wealth to the top, a a corrupted capitalistic system, so to say, and I don't want to make any of the ANCAPs especially mad here. I'm not dissing capitalism in its purest form, but the capitalism that we have today, at least. And so when we get into the technocracy, It is mostly built on skill and the will to know and these experts at the top that are figuring out the best ways of doing things, social engineering and uh, resource allocation and making sure that things are used sustainably and equity for all, all of these types of things. That is something that a technate would be responsible for and using the will to know, ideally in an uncorrupted form, in order to do this for the good of all and for the greatest good for the greatest number. And I have major disagreements with all of these philosophies. Uh, I'm not promoting any of them, but I'm just trying to describe them at least. And so that's technocracy. But I guarantee you that a corrupted version of cunning is going to be used in order to fulfill these things. You even have the idea of the noble lie. I'll talk about that in a little bit. But there will be lies told to the people in order to do good for the greatest number. There will be times when the power of the technate and of the different councils of experts will be used for corrupt means, and this will be done through methods of cunning. Now, they won't be done through the types of cunning, of magic and mystery and chance that we have today in our current system, but they will be done in a corrupted version of that. It's not about funneling wealth to those that are in power, so to say. It'll be more about probably funneling control and power to specific people within these councils or that are trying to assert control over these councils would probably be my guess. But again, this will be used in a corrupted version in the next age. And I haven't completely developed that thought in my book. I haven't gotten there quite yet, but uh, I will by the time I get to it next season and we'll get into a little more detail there. But the point is that that's where we are. We are in this transitional stage between these two ages. And in any transition, the transitional period is a tough time. Transitions are rough. In general, there are lower life expectancies. There are disruptions in international trade, the international flow of goods. You've got all kinds of issues that are coming up with unrest and people are divisive 
and there's war, famine, all kinds of things happen in the transitional ages. When you look at the transitional ages coming from like the Iron Age, the Bronze Age, the fall of the Roman Empire, any of these major things in civilizations that have come and gone and ages as a whole that have come and gone, the transition period in between them is always rough. Now, the catch here, so we're not getting too pessimistic, the catch is that the speed of the transition is always increased according to the technology that they have, the advancements in technology. So whereas it might have taken thousands of years to make a shift from one of the early ages to another age, it might have only taken a few hundred years for a shift in between two later ages. And this age might actually go through fairly quickly, at least relatively, maybe even measured in decades and not centuries. And a lot of this has to do with the technology that we have today. The speed of transition is increased with the speed of advancement and technology. And so some of the things that we are seeing, especially when COVID hit, these are things that were never possible before. I've mentioned that before, that you could have never just stayed home from work. If we were looking at the uh, Spanish flu pandemic that went through years ago, we didn't have that ability. You didn't have the ability to order things and have them delivered to your doorstep. You couldn't communicate with the entire world uh, in an instant. These things weren't possible. It's because of the technology that we have that these things are possible. And because these things are possible, this transitional period might flow through fairly quickly. It will still be rough, but it might at least be brief. If you've been following along, I've had a lot of these ideas and I have been exploring all of this stuff since before COVID was a thing. And so in my mind, this was something that I had a few decades to prepare for. I was getting ahead of the curve. I was kind of fleshing out a lot of these ideas and these different ages and exploring the idea of technocracy and how that's what we're headed into and what that looks like. I was exploring these things from a perspective that this is a long ways off, at least relatively, you know, a few decades at least. Um, at, at the beginnings, I was kind of thinking that maybe in the next five years or so, we'll start to see some more major shifts going on. But, you know, again, I thought that was still in the future. With COVID, I feel like that has accelerated everything, every single aspect of this. The changing of the guard for economic systems, for new forms of money, for new forms of payment, for new ways of doing business, new forms of education, all of the different things, uh, relationships, just everything, all of that has changed. And all of that has changed very quickly, specifically because of COVID-19. And I think that might be an example of technology speeding up the transitional period. This would be an event speeding up the transitional period, but the only reason this event, having a virus that came through causing complete global disruption and everything, the only reason that's a thing, again, is because of the technology. It's a response from governments. It's the states that are causing all of these different things that are happening, not the virus itself. It's the reaction to the virus. And again, that reaction could never happen if it weren't for the technology that we have. And so because we have had this event, we have this reaction. Because this reaction, we have this transitional phase speeding forward. And the only reason it can speed forward is because of the technology. And you see how it all kind of works together there. An interesting aspect, I mentioned the noble lie. So in Plato's Republic, you have this idea of the noble lie. And on one hand, it's telling a lie that's what's good for the public. It's what's good for the common wheel, for everyone as a whole. It might be a lie, but you're telling them this lie for their own good. 
And then the other aspect of the noble lie is that it's a test. So you have, he's big on eugenics and having one small group of people that are the elites and trained to be elites from a young age, and then they kind of rule over everybody else, but do so in a very benevolent way. They only want what's best for everyone else. It's, again, this idea of the will to know being kind of a pure motivation kind of a thing. And so, you know, it's a good thing, and according to Plato. And the noble lie is another thing where you tell a big lie, a major lie to one of these people that you think is ready to be one of these ruling elite. And if they swallow that without any problems and just automatically believe it, then you know that they are loyal. You know that they can be trusted to be a leader over all the other people because they are totally, I don't know what to say, more maybe indoctrinated and intertwined into the system and you don't have to worry about them being a loose cannon or going rogue or anything like that. And so you test them by telling a major lie and see if they believe it unquestioningly. And that is another aspect. And when you look at these aspects and correlate that back to COVID-19, there are many things that are absolute lies definitely being told. There are manipulations that you can easily find out. You can do some easy searches on the internet. Heck, you can even use the CDC to show that what the World Health Organization is saying is a lie or vice versa, or both of them to show that what President Trump is saying is a lie. Or you can use independent studies, not by any of these organizations, to show that what the organizations are saying are a lie. And again, it's easy to point out lies on all sides in many different ways. There are major manipulations going on, but in a lot of ways, people are just buying it. They're just believing it. And they are totally entwined and indoctrinated into this system where not only are they just believing whatever it is they're being told, but they're then fighting for that without even verifying it at all. They're just believing it just out of hand without any proof or with very little proof or lies. And then they're fighting their friends and neighbors over this issue that it's probably not even true. And that goes for both sides. You have the people that are on, let's say, the alt-right, the QAnon type people that are saying it's all part of a big plan, that coronavirus was a big hoax, but you know we're doing this and that, and we know that it's not real, but we might play along with it for this certain reason and all this kind of stuff. But they'll swallow those things and then fight for them because they believe it. They've been indoctrinated. They hear it. They believe it. Done. And you have people, let's say, more on the far left that are very extreme that everyone has to wear a mask. And if you don't, then you are the reason why everything has been ruined in our entire country and everyone has to be mandated. And if they're not doing it, they need to be forced to do it. They need to be held at gunpoint. It's for the good of everyone else. They have to do this. And they don't even look into the science of how masks work and this kind of stuff. And again, both of those are extremes where people have been told lies. They've been manipulated. It's fairly clear and easy to show and prove that these are manipulations but yet people still buy it. And we have the internet, again, this resource where we can test all of these things. We have so many different experts we could look to and show that something is true or not, but people believe it no matter what, because what is absolute truth? What is truth? As you know, Pilate says to Jesus, and I'll get into that at some point too. We live in an age of relative truth. What's true to you might not be true to me, but it might be true to them, and you believe what you believe, except my truth is the one that is ultimately true, and I must force that on everybody else because it's for the good of everyone. And that's kind of how it ends up playing out, and it's all crap. None of it's logical. But uh, if you've been listening to the podcast, you should know that based on our education system, what else would you expect? And so... Uh, it, kind of bouncing off of that. 
I have two proposals for what a technocratic system would look like. I technically have three, but the third one doesn't really count much. The two main ones are that either it will be a 1984 Machiavellian panopticon system, or it will be a Brave New World Republic Foundation system. And all of these uh, you should be able to recognize are allusions to other things. We've got the book 1984 by Orwell mixed with the idea of the prince written by Machiavelli and that kind of ruling philosophy mixed with the idea of the panopticon that um, was originally by Jeremy Bentham, I believe. I'll double check that before next episode when I actually talk about it. But um, it's the uh, idea of building a prison system with minimal guards but maximum control and that was later fleshed out by other philosophers and again we'll get into that i think foucault if i remember right but um, that those philosophies and ideas and concepts wrapped together under this idea of a technocracy that i am packaging together as one option and as a spoiler alert um, i am saying that that's kind of what we're in like right now that's where we are and what we are getting into would be my proposal for the second option for a technocracy. That would be the Brave New Republic Foundation. And that would be based off of Brave New World, which would be Aldous Huxley. And you've got the Republic, Plato's Republic that I mentioned earlier, and the Foundation series by Isaac Asimov. And you kind of pair all of these ideas together, and that creates a vision for a different system, a different technocracy. It operates differently. It functions differently as a different goal. And that's what I am arguing we are heading into. And so we can use these illusions and bring them together and mold these ideas and philosophies and concepts to really get an idea for uh, not only where we are and where we're going, but different options of how these things can play out because we haven't seen them play out yet. So we don't really know for sure. But again, looking at these trends, we can see these things. And coming off of the previous season where that was the whole point is looking at the trends of where we are going on a more macro view, the idea of the reformation and the shifts going on that went on then and the shifts going on now and how we can use that to better understand things. Now it's, it's that same idea just applied in a different way. And again, it's all the idea of what this podcast is. It's assessing society and changes in society, the evolution of society and all the systems within it. That's still, what we're doing. We just do this from different perspectives, different ways, and we can get more insight the deeper we go and the more we spread the tentacles out into all the different options here. So if you haven't guessed, that is pretty much where I'm wrapping up this episode, talking about the ages of man, William Henry Smith, these kinds of things. This is the idea I'd mentioned in a previous episode that I've heard at least two podcasts that have talked about the transition into different ages. I heard another one, I think yesterday or the day before, it was Bob Murphy and he was talking about we're in this dark age and there might be a renaissance coming up. So, you know, there's this idea of hope, which is a positive thing. And renaissance might tie back to my last season. Um, but the idea of being in this transitional age, it's it's another, that's another example of someone else coming out with that idea that I've been working on for so long. And then I feel like it's all like coming out by many people and, you know, it's good affirmation. But uh, I want to make sure I'm getting these ideas out there as well, because I have some... 
I have some original contributions to make, but I also have some uh, different things to draw on that I don't see being drawn on by other people. And so I think it's valuable to have all these different perspectives. And it's actually probably a good thing that I am getting mine out there at the same time as other people are getting theirs. And hopefully you as the listener are not just listening to me, but you're listening to other people as well and hearing these other takes as well. And that should really help build up your um, your mental acumen, so to say, and your clarity on how things are going and how to assess things. So next episode, uh, I plan on getting into this idea of the two different versions of technocracy, the 1984 Machiavellian Panopticon versus the Brave New Republic Foundation and talking about what that means, what those look like, how they apply, and how we are in some of those aspects now and where we're going and how that shift is occurring in relation to us being in this transitional period between the age of economics and the age of science and how all that pairs together. So that's what we'll get into next time. I may also mention something on vaccines. I realized after recording the episode last week that I talked about some of the basic stuff about coronavirus, got into masks. I talked about Um, different policies and lockdowns and things and didn't even mention vaccines and that's a pretty big one Uh, maybe because they don't exist as of right now but it's still a pretty big deal so um, if I have time I'll get into that next episode or the following probably and make sure I mention that to kind of wrap up at least my opinion of how COVID is going this is more how it's affecting this age of transition and stuff and just making sure I get this out there right now but that's where we are Um, that's what's coming up next and until then please do leave a rating and or a review. I would greatly appreciate that. If you haven't done that yet and you've been listening this long, then shame on you, maybe. Um, I don't want to uh, be negative. I greatly appreciate your listenership, but I also would greatly, greatly, greatly appreciate times three if you would take the time to just leave a review, leave a rating. It really does help. And I would love for these ideas and concepts to get out there to a greater number of people, not necessarily because I benefit in any way. I really don't. I have a few people that contribute financially. And thank you very much for you guys as well. I'll go ahead and give the thanks now. Uh, But I highly doubt many people will that come on. But I genuinely want these ideas to at least spread. I want the ideas to get out there. And if you spread this podcast via word of mouth or just spread these ideas in conversation with other people, I think that's what we need as a society is rational discussion over things that matter and some of these philosophical concepts and really assessing the systems and that kind of stuff. I think that's what we need. I think that that's what I am promoting. At least that's my goal. I thank you for being a part of that. Please come back next time for the next episode. I'm out. Peace. This has been another episode of Our Foundation's podcast. Making for listening. Goodbye. Yeah. Thank you. Goodbye.